Hello and welcome to the Miko Bits show and I'm your host Miko Bits. Today I have Varun who's from Hashflow and Hashflow is an amazing liquidity thing of a bob. It's really a powerful mechanism that allows uh, access to kind of an amazing Dex-like contraption that pumps out kind of best prices. It's really an astonishing thing and requires probably a little more definition than what I provided. So, uh, you know, without further ado, uh, you know, here's Varun. Welcome to the Nico Bits show. Hey, thank you for having me. I yeah, very, I very... The definition. <laughs> very, <laughs> yeah. very precise. Absolutely. Think of a bob. Yes, mm -hmm. it's very good. So, uh, so just a quick disclosure is that my fund, Gumi Cryptos Capital, is an investor in Hashflow. Uh, you know, just so everybody knows. But like, you know, tell tell us first off and foremost a bit about like what problem that you're solving. All right, thank you. So, 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 uh, I think in the in the simplest way, we make price discovery a lot more seamless, right? So, so, so. Uh, the goal is to build the best decentralized trading experience for, for anyone to come and trade in a permissionless way and, and, and essentially be able to trade anything on any chain and any asset class, right? So, so, so that's essentially where we want to get to. Yeah, that's big stuff. And uh, kind of unpack for us, you know, you've already got uh, some deployed smart contracts and you have kind of a, a really cool... Uh, app that you can connect to on hashflow.com. So tell tell us what we're looking at there, and you know how 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 it kind of solves this problem. No, absolutely. So I think uh, perhaps it makes sense to have a historic context of how how Dex has evolved and yeah. why what we're doing actually solves the problem in an interesting way. But I can also start in the most boring way possible, and then and 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 then and then slowly unpack. Uh, what 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 uh, was the trade off and why you chose that trade off and so on, right? So so, so I think that the most boring way to define Hashflow is to say DeFi native RFQ platform, right? That yeah. essentially connects market makers to traders. The way it works is your end user or a taker requests a quote, and uh, your market maker issues the quote, and then your taker likes it or hates it. If they like it, then they then they say yes. And then and then and they broadcast the trade on chain, right? So, so so and the swap happens at the smart contract level. So at the simplest level, it's, it's essentially you have two parties interacting with each other, uh, where their price discovery sort of happens, an agreement happens off chain, and the execution and settlement of that 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 price or that 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 swap happens on chain, right? So so what this does is it preserves the the whole vending machine experience that that people have come to love about Uniswap. But at the same time, it unpacks or unbundles Uniswap by moving price discovery from on-chain to off-chain, which, which in turn allows for better price discovery. And you get like nice, interesting features, like you can trade without slippage. You can you, you no longer are subject to any MEV exploits. But more importantly, you can actually price any asset you like that is not limited to spot or blue chips. Like you can go into non-Delta one like options, futures or anything else. And it becomes really, really simple to, to actually price them and trade them. And uh, you can also build more core infra things like, like cross-chain swap that we deployed recently, right? And all these are possible because, you know, we, we, we went with this whole idea of, of uh, a definitive RFQ system, 
right? So, so, so I think that's kind of how it paints the picture. That's a very lovely mental model. I mean, I think one oversimplification might be this idea of like a wholesaling, right? Mm -hmm. Where in a sense, what you have is you have kind of professional market makers that are kind of really determining sort of best price, right? And in a sense, kind of like a Costco, like you're basically bringing that to the retail masses, right? So that these best industry level prices aren't just relegated to like high volume OTC traders or some kind of shadowy cigar smoking back room, but you know, that can just be accessed by anyone. No, absolutely. I think if you look at, it, for example, like if I wanted to go a bit more in a historic context, if you look at the evolution of DEXs, right, you start, like, obviously in 2016, 17, you had Coinbase cracking, uh, leading the world with their centralized uh, exchange platform, and then came EtherDelta, which was, which was like the, uh, I know people are going to remember EtherDelta at this point, but that was Classic. one of the first, uh, first order book uh, DEXs built on Ethereum. So, so, so they tried to replicate the entire order book. Uh, didn't quite work, uh, but we also realized the shortcomings was because of the scalability issues of, of having a on-chain order book, right? And then second uh, generation, we had Xerox APIs, which which kind of created these APIs that anyone can use to, to, to essentially do RFQ, uh, except uh, the hope was, you know, how you have folks uh, that will basically build uh, DEXs on top of that. But but really, I think that zero to one movement or moment happened with Uniswap. Right. So, so Uniswap for the first time actually made Dex trading sexy. Right? Like people wanted to trade trade because of the, the simplicity of, of anyone can just go and request a quote and, and receive something. Like they, they built a very, very high performing vending machine that, that anyone can trade with. And they also made the idea of putting assets into a smart contract more mainstream. Right. Like, like before that, uh, you know, if you say you're gonna use smart contract custody. You're like, no, no way. That's too insecure, right? So, so, so Uniswap kind of made the idea of, of, of trading against a smart contract really, really interesting. But, but at the same time, I think the shortcomings came in the form of, yes, we have this very high-performing uh, arbitrage machine that people can always arb against, but the, the price discovery happens on CFI, and that is used as a price reference to do trade against uh, your Uniswap uh, bonding curves to, to keep adjusting the price. But at the same time, it's also limiting in the sense that, A, you cannot have good prices unless you have tons of assets or TBL locked into the pools. Yes. And B, uh, the, the price and execution is not guaranteed, especially if you go uh, towards long tail and move away from stables and, and, and blue chips. And not to mention, like, the more sophisticated players start exploiting these things for, for things like MEVs and sandwich attacks and so on, right? So, so, so the idea was, yes, we have zero to one so far. But if you really want to see DeFi scale to the point where uh, you're essentially solving for the one to N, where you onboard the next set of users, be it retail, be it institutional and so on, what do they care for? Like, how do you build a better price discovery model that not only a source of pricing, but also builds a better experience in terms of what assets can they trade, uh, not being subject to MEV exploits, not having slippage that they do not expect, being able to swap between chains, like not just within a chain, like going from like sending ETH to receiving AVAX on the other chain. How do you do it in a way that is actually uh, really, really seamless, right? So, 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 and I think these are the shortcomings that I feel like Uniswap was not able to solve at that point. And generally, I think it'll be really challenging to do it on any AMM model, right? So, so, so we're like, okay, maybe we should take a step back and figure out what's a better way 
to approach this problem so we can get to that 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 that, that dream state scenario right so so, so maybe maybe another uh slogan probably a bad one mm-hmm. would be something like taking the a out of amm yeah i mean in a sense sense that there's this there like in tradfi there's this entire class of practitioners called market makers right and like Mm -hmm. it turns out that like you know that making all of those people into robots like it it may actually not be a thing right and one of the things that's so interesting about what you're talking about with respect to kind of like optimization of price discovery, right? So there's two things that pop up immediately for me. One mm-hmm. of the things that pops up immediately for me is the uh, capital efficiency of the lack of kind of pooling, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that you don't have as much of a need to kind of have a stocked machine, especially as you go into the long tail, right? So so with RFQ, you just kind of have like, uh, you know, it's sort of on demand, right? So mm-hmm. there's an on demand mechanism. So I think you get capital efficiency there. But the other thing that I think is super interesting is the idea that price discovery and market making is actually a thing. And it's kind of maybe you could call it a dark art, right? In the sense that like, there may be things like information asymmetries that contribute, right? Which I think relates to your concept of what the MEV, right? So I, I'd love to kind of have your thoughts about like, is this sort of a rational way of thinking about that? Uh, so, so could you could you repeat the question in terms of uh, uh, which? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think I think the the gimme is just that you don't have to have huge piles of like uh, assets just lying inside of a machine, right? So that's that's the gimme. But I think the more exotic part of it is the idea about uh, mechanisms for price discovery, right? So you know, obviously, when you think about mechanisms for price discovery, there's sort of like this idea of lit and dark. Right. So what I'm thinking about is like the idea that like, you know, obviously lit is like desirable in some sense. And I think some of the stuff that people are complaining about uh, in, in, in the lending market right now has to do with how much there is that stark. But I think from a price discovery perspective, like it feels like the, the, the world of dark has more of an edge on the world of lit. I don't know what your thoughts are. (laughs) I like the Star Wars analogy there. I think, I, think uh, I heard Dark Side is cooler though. So, so, so generally, I like the, the Sith Lords. So, 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 uh, I mean, I mean, it's much more glamorous, obviously. But I think generally, the way I think about it, not just from a Dex point of view, but general philosophy, is is is, is uh, uh, everything is okay if there is a choice, right? Like things right. are bad when something is forced upon you, or you have no choice but to bow down to somebody with power, right? And, and you have uh, no choice but to, but, to, but to comply, even though you don't want to comply, right? So, so, so now, which takes me to a broader discussion around decentralization, right? So, so I think my thesis here is decentralization is a feature if it's by choice. So, so centralization is a feature if it's by choice, but it's a bug if it's uh, forced upon you, right? So, so, so the reason it made sense for, for cryptocurrency or having the idea of decentralized money is because because pre Bitcoin money was if you consider money a technology, then then someone had monopoly on 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 on, on the power of on on, on violence, right? So, so and they used that yes. to enforce this technology onto everybody else, and and you had no choice but to use that technology, even though uh, it may not be in your best interest to use it, right? So 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 what what crypto did is, is essentially gave people the choice. Uh, it said you no longer have to have a money that is run by monopoly, but instead 
uh, you, could, you could essentially have money that is truly an incentive design choice. And, 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 and uh, instead of complying to this technology that is essentially a highly optimized rent-seeking mechanism, right, which is your fiat, you, you essentially have the choice to either opt in or, or, or choose a different incentive mechanism that 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 fits yeah, yeah, yeah. what so, you like. So what I like about what I like about what you're describing is that mm -hmm. in the book Debt the First Five Thousand Years, mm -hmm. they actually talk about the evolution of debt, you know, yeah. starting out with kind of peer to peer debt and lending, mm -hmm. right? And with peer to peer lending, you actually have this kind of amazing op kind of opportunity where the where the person knows the the borrower, right? And so then yeah. there's this kind of like back and forth, right? Whereas the I think the evolution of the first five thousand years was the securitization, right? Mm -hmm. And the securitization gets so interesting because it creates this kind of impersonalness to it, yeah. where you know. And one of the things that happens that's so interesting about that is the evolution of society around uh, what you described as the monopoly of the use of violence, right? Which is that the end of debt in kind of like civil society, if you want to call it that, is debtor's prison, right? Which is, yeah. you know, and obviously, how do they convince people to go, right? And obviously, they convince people to go because they have like weapons and they have like, you know, enforcement, yeah. you know? So, so, so when you think about, you know, that as being sort of a monetary mechanism, it's really interesting to see what you're talking about, which is much more about choice right because mm -hmm. one of the things we can submit to are things like automated liquidations you mm -hmm. know and and by sub subjecting ourselves to things like transparent automated liquidation you know you then suddenly become completely consensual right because there's yeah. no there actually isn't a need for anyone to use a gun because like your collections don't become difficult right like you know if you're if you're in a smart contract and you're liquidated like it's not like Oh, now we have to go over there and we have yeah. to repo, we have to repossess the guy's car, you know, like it's no, yeah. no, like we have to, we have to foreclose on the guy's home. You know, it's like, no, 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 like none of that's happening. Right. So I, I'm curious your thoughts. Yeah. So that, I think there's a few things to un uh, unpack here. Right. So, so I think to, to close the loop on the previous uh, question around market makers versus AMMs, I think yeah. generally uh, the thesis is that price discovery could be somewhat centralized and I think it's okay so long as it actually gives you other benefits and the users have the choice not to take the quote if they don't like it, right? So, so, so you get a price, you don't like it, you can go to Uniswap, that's completely okay. But if I force people to only use my, you know, RFQ and not Uniswap or vice versa, then, then it becomes a problem, right? So, so, so I think uh, our job here is to give you guys the best prices and if you can't beat them, then Uniswap is always there, right? So, so, so I think it's yeah. not a competition, it's just how can you build a better experience and, and bring uh, better rates to end users, right? So, so that that's essentially uh, a good way to think about it. Now, 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 uh, going to uh, the idea of money itself, right? So, so, so I think, uh, or maybe I'll dive into that later after after I close the loop on on the second part is around lending and so on and having decentralized uh, platforms. So I think I think the power of decentralization here is obviously you don't have to trust anybody. Right, and it's a powerful narrative in the sense that the only thing you trust is this immutable smart contract code, and and everyone knows exactly what's in it, and they know the risks, and they interact with that. And if things go wrong, then then obviously uh, there's no one to blame. But 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 the, the, this smart contract that always functions based on a set of instructions that were agreed upon and that cannot be changed, which is which is really really good. But I think 
a key link there that is missing. If you think about the world, the way it's evolved, the world runs on credit, right? That's the fundamental, uh, that's kind of how all of finance works. It works. Yes. And, and, and I think uh, in the current design, it's hard to make it mainstream uh, if the key thing, key ingredient, which is the identity or on-chain identity that's missing, right? So, so, so if I want to lend you lots of money uh, and if you happen to be some random obscure public key, then, then it's really hard for me to take the risk and do that, right? On the other hand, if I have a way to securely verify this on-chain identity of the person that, that I'm, 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 I'm giving that money to, then that, that opens up myriad of opportunities that were not possible otherwise, right? Yeah. So, so I think uh, lending in its current state, it has evolved significantly. Like if you think, if you think about it, right? So, so, so despite the current fiasco, the only protocols that survived were like Aave and Compound, right? So, so, and they kept functioning. So, so I think the next iteration would be where if you can add on-chain identity to, to, to really build a platform that can function based on credit, I think, I think, I think that would be the, the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think to me, one of the things that I see your brain doing on its own yeah. is really understanding kind of orders of magnitude improvement areas for capital efficiency. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I just, I don't, that seems to be how your brain works on its own, right? So to me, like the idea of reintroducing identity, I mean, when you think about Web3 identity, I think one of the things that becomes really the Web3 part is absolutely the consent, the consensual fair exchange, right? So in a sense, it's kind of like, first of all, why am I surrendering information about myself, right? And the answer is always going to be because you get goodies, right? That's the answer, right? So you get better yields or rates or whatever. And like, that's fine. And to me, the scope of, of, you know, how much you want to reveal, right, is is mm-hmm. obviously also up to you, right? So, you know, you yeah. just, you only submit the limited information that's needed in order to get the goodies, you know, and no more, right? And and so to me, like, that's a lovely model. Now, obviously, like, if you want the best possible rates, you know, on mm-hmm. a private credit, then like, you know, you're going to have to submit like a, you know, look up to a, a classic, yeah. uh, you know, credit reporting agency, right? So you're gonna have to, yeah, obviously you give your social security number almost like a primary key and then they like, then they have everything, right? So, so you know, but but I think that like everything related to your credit, but, but you know, I think to me, like that's super interesting because we're, you know, in some sense we're going all the way back to the beginning of the first 5,000 years of debt, right? Where it's sort mm-hmm. of like, oh, I know you, you know, I know you, here's some money. So, 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 so I think generally, uh, I, I, I'm not anti KYC or anti AML or any of that. Me either. I think I, I think generally uh, the way I like to think about it is the, is the power, the essence of decentralization, is is, is transparency, is of checks and balances to, to hold your gatekeepers accountable, right? So so, so before that, uh, when even when 2008 crisis happened, right, most people did not know what was happening behind the scenes. Like, even the credit agencies that people trusted so much, by like essentially giving AAA ratings. To, to, to bonds that were actually like subprime, right? So, so they were not triple A's. So, 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 so things like these, right? The moment you bring more transparency to, to, to these things, whether anyone can look at the audit trail and figure out what's going on and there's nothing hidden from people, right? So, so, so that actually brings a lot more efficiency to the system because now people are aware of what's going on, right? So, so, so think uh, that's really what I see is the power of decentralization and public blockchains is that it actually gives people 
visibility into these sort of things, which were otherwise a black box, right, for the longest time. And, the, and then only when things go wrong, then you're like, oh, well, we, you know, ah, let's repeat this again. <laughs> but this time it'll be different, right? So, 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 so that, that's not quite the case. So, so, so the moment you bring that transparency and, and, and you can hold people responsible for these things accountable for, for, for any of these mishaps that happen, then I think uh, that's actually a pretty good system to be part of, right? So it doesn't have to be uh, the extreme end of either side of the pendulum, right? It, could, it doesn't need to be 100% centralized with some gatekeepers who have control over anything. It also doesn't need to be to the point where it's very decentralized, but it's also not usable, right? So, 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 so I think yeah, yeah, yeah. in the middle. I always kind of very much enjoy our conversations because I think that your perspective is very close to mine in this, in the respect of uh, you're a, sort of a better systems builder, you know, and I, I just really admire that because one of the things I've been talking a lot about uh, in public is degen culture, right? Which isn't, uh, I like to say degen culture isn't, I'm going to cut myself. It's watch me cut yeah. myself, right? Like it's, it's, it's deliberately oppositional mm -hmm. in nature. And the, what I like to uh, posit is I like to say that if you're delivering better systems, there isn't a need to be oppositional, yeah. right? Like, like we're not fighting. Like, yeah. it's like, it's like our stuff is better, right? Like, like we're not in a fight. Like, there's nothing to fight about. Like, we're just we just win. No, absolutely, it's it's it's, it's a non-zero sum game. Like, even even when people say regulators bad, uh, you know, the the, the, the anarchists good, or the other way around, I don't think it doesn't need to be that way either. If anything, if the whole idea of regulators is to protect user interests, right, which is valuable, then then what blockchain is doing is it, it's making their lives easier. Right. So, so, so yeah, transparency it, it, should help. Right. So, so if anything, it's actually a good thing for them, right? So, so, so to not go against this, but actually work with, with, with uh, the new technologies and essentially upgrade their systems, right? So, so the, the, the same narrative that was used to, to, to update the system 100 years ago by installing Federal Reserve, right? You can, you can use the same fundamental logic to say, like, this is, this is a new monetary system. This is an orthogonal framework that, that hasn't been used prior so so there is a lot to be learned but the thing is though i think the change is happening and i think the the the, the, the progress lies in everyone working together right so, so as opposed to trying to trying to see how can one one side win because that's that's, yeah, that's yeah. just some game and it's not yeah yeah i love that mm -hmm. and so you know in a sense like you know i think it's sort of where we're going we won't need Degen, right? Like mm -hmm. we, we won't really need opposition. You know, we won't need that kind of tone of rebellion, you know, because mm -hmm. in a sense, it's sort of like, yeah, everything will just be improved. So, uh, you know, what I'd love to kind of dip into is sort of your own a little bit about kind of how did this start for you? Like, you know, what's what was your kind of journey and the light bulbs, like the moments, the key key moments? Well, so, so uh, I think so first of all, I don't have any finance. Well, I don't come from a finance background, right? So, 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 so I think uh, I, my background is in aerospace engineering and, and, and robotics. So, 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 uh, yes, space I from, space I'm, robots. I'm, 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 I'm a, I was a space person. I still am, right? So, 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 so but I think uh, uh, essentially uh, the, the turning point to me was understanding how money works, which I never did back in the day in 2016. Wow. And, and, and once I understood those fundamental concepts, essentially seeing what this is doing or what this could do 
uh, was essentially the turning point, right? So, so and, and, and the realization was essentially crypto is to money what, what, what the internet was to the flow of information, right? So, so, so and I think uh, uh, that was essentially where, like, if that's the case, then, then the, the impact is going to be, like, it's going to be the biggest tectonic shift in the in in the human kind you're talking I about think, right so, so. i think you recommended me a book which was the creature from jekyll island yes i think you recommended me which is really about the kind of formation of the federal reserve bank you know mm -hmm. and all these guys like warburg and all these kind mm -hmm. of like shadowy cigar smoking pinstripe people you know creating this private bank right so it's i don't know it's uh but i think I'm interested because it really speaks to your describing of the sort of full deconstruction of the monetary uh, technology, you know, top to bottom, including the monopoly of the use of force. So I, I, I'm fascinated by like, how did you, how did that happen? Like, how did you figure this all out? I mean, it was... <laughs> I think, uh, let me, let, let, let me actually uh, at least describe the way I see it. Right. So, so, so I think uh, uh, if you think about, like, if you go all the way to back to the primitives, and think of money, right? So, so, so uh, let's start with bartering, right? So, so the way uh, people traded things uh, or, or exchanged anything, uh, exchanged energy, right? So, so, so was, was, was through direct exchange of goods, right? There was energy put into creation of those goods and people traded those things. So, so you had bartering. And then slowly, uh, that, 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 that pattern essentially you can you can think of this pattern as a as a multi, as 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 a hundred percent distributed system, right? So, so, so where everyone or, or a mesh network rather, where each node is interacting with each other node independently, right? So 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 and then eventually this converged into a uh, multi-centric distributed design, where where you had like some some uh, commodities that became the incentive design choice that were being traded more than the others. In fact, they became. Uh, like you know, more popular. In, like for example, in some areas, rice was perhaps the incentive design mechanism. Some areas was gold, was silver, right? Could it, precious metals, whatever, right? So, so, the idea being, some commodities became more popular than the others, and eventually became the incentive design choice that that people ah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right? So, so uh, I think you're talking about sort of the consensus formation yeah. around a base asset yes that kind of uh solves the kind of coincidence of wants oh, problem right ex so. exactly that is beautifully put <laughs> right so, so <laughs> you could you can actually say this is the this is a birth of the technology of money right so, so it was discovered so 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 and to that point you can also define money as an agreement about energy right at the very fundamental level like that's literally what it is, right? So, so it's even it. about two parties to, to exchange something of value that was created by expending some energy in, in that, that venue, the creation of, of, the, of that said value, right? So, so, so and now you have, you have money, uh, particularly commodity money, and you can say institutions emerged eventually who started like, you know, essentially became uh, the custodians of this money and, and, and then the commerce emerged. And then you ran into a scaling issue. Right, like well, commodity money is great. Now we have this technology that can be used as an interface, as a common language that can allow people to trade something of value. But what if you want to scale this to do like uh, conduct trade across continents around around different cities and states? Like how do we scale this technology? Right. So 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 we invented currency, which can be thought of as a layer two solution for for the underlying commodity money. Right. So so 
we essentially created these claim checks, the paper bills that could be used to redeem the underlying notes. But so, then, so before, before yes. you double click in there, yes. I just want to highlight to the audience how mind blowing something you just said is right. Which is this idea of energy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that when you think about energy, right? Like it's like, oh, well the rice contains like solar energy, right? Mm -hmm. And the gold actually has kind of almost the twofold nature of energy, right? Which is it requires like a, a exploding, like a black hole neutron star to create, you know, so gold is hard to create, right? But if you think about the other energy, it requires energy to mine, right? So you yeah. have to extract it, right? And of course, everybody knows Bitcoin takes energy to mine, right? And yeah. the other thing that's amazing about things like the US dollar is the US dollar is sort of the petrodollar, right? So it's sort of the demand currency yeah. for OPEC, right? So the idea of when you use the term energy and this the kind of like, it's sort of an agreement about energy. I just want everyone to understand that that's very subtle and deep and interesting. So I just want to double click there, let the audience kind of like get their heads a little further blown and then and then come back to like the paper that you're describing, which is, you know, paper, paper money. No, no, so let's go back. No, I think I think I was going to come to that. But I think you, you, you kind of gave a little <laughs> insight into that, which is great. So, so I, I, I like to discover from my leave some subtleties and then, and then come full circle and look, okay, well, this is, this is kind of why, but I think it's good though. I think feel, feel free to double click anytime that there, there, there is something interesting. Wonderful. <laughs> so, so you, you essentially are recursing back off view at currency or discovery of layer two solution to scale commodity money, right? So, 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 uh, you, you, you had, uh, institution, institutions that came about that became the custodians, uh, of, of your commodity money and then it issued these uh, cryptographic proofs, if you want to have an analogy there, <laughs> or, or paper bills in this case, that could be redeemable for 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 for, for the underlying assets, right? So, so the beauty of this is you can actually scale paper across the globe and you can actually conduct commerce in a much larger scale, right? So, so, so and even going beyond that, you could have done more financial innovation in the form of like lending, for example. Now you can use your assets as your reserve to issue perhaps more currency units, right? So, 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 uh, and, and, and use that to, to basically create the system of credit essentially, right? So, so, so that, that, that's the start of your modern day banking system. So, 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 uh, now if you, if you, if you go all the way now, fast forward a thousand years, uh, all the way to, uh, the creation of federal reserve and so on, right? So, so you can almost think of federal reserve as a forced network update, uh, that, and, and, and the whole purpose of that update was to move away from, from, from this idea of, 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 uh, each bank unit, everyone having, so by the way, before federal reserve, like each, each state, each bank has its own chart, own currency, right? They had own currency units. <laughs> there, there was no dollar before that. So, I so the that. idea was, you know, you can, you can actually create a more, more, more optimized system by essentially getting rid of all those things and having a one unified system and we call it the fed, right? So, 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 but really eventually what ended up happening is, is, is you, you had that, then you had the gold standard where your dollar was essentially backed by gold. But, the, but then eventually we said, this is bad. We need to have like a currency called fiat that is not backed by anything, right? So, so but uh, the sheer word, you know, the word of your government telling you that, you know, we, we, we must uh, use this currency and nothing else, right? So, so the moment you move away from, from this idea of asset currency backed by money, your currency backed by nothing, you essentially remove the difference between the money and the currency plane or merge them both into one. 
except there is no more backing of anything, right? So, so which is also why the whole idea of when you go about stable coins uh, or backing something that's something else, and people ask, what is this backed by? So, so technically, a dollar is not backed by anything, right? So, 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 so it's, 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 it's backed by trust and, 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 the, and, and, the, and the force, the, the US, US military, right? So, 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 so uh, and, and I think uh, that, that, that in itself is, 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 a, is a true backing, right? So, so there, there, is, there is no commodity back in it. We are not on gold standard anymore, right? And, and then obviously, fast forward, we had the Petro. So, so, so really, now this is how things get interesting, right? So, so, so before, when Bretton Woods was clubbed off and he had dollars, right? So the whole idea was, now we have a system where we have dollars and we control the dollars, right? We create the current creation and supply and demand off of this currency units. But how do we create demand for this currency units, right? So, 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 and the only way to do this, uh, is to export the currency from the US so, 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 so that there'll be more demand. And the only way for you to get the currency out of the US is to move, move, move the production out of the US so that you can then buy those things with the US dollar currency and, and, and then buy those goods back into the US. So, so that's kind of, this, is where, this goes on a tangent on how can we end up in a situation where we have all the production overseas. But the whole fundamental premise is that we want to create demand for the dollar, right? Which is also then goes back to the whole idea of why do we need war and why do we want to, uh, to buy oil must obviously price in dollars because that's kind of how you create demand for the dollars and yep. and, and and then you also keep creating new currency units energy right? so, again. so, so but, but but the whole point though is the system now you now that i have talked about it in this in the scenario you look at that doesn't sound very sustainable right so, 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 so it is just a ticking bomb waiting for 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 for, for a big collapse at some point in the future, right? Which very well might be. And the problem with that is people had no choice but to comply to that system, right? So, so and if it does collapse, like everyone who is part of that system was going to suffer, right? So, 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 I mean, I, I want to I wanna underscore something, yeah. you know, just for the audience, right? Which is when you're talking about the idea of energy, mm-hmm. right? Then really what happens is, is that you end up with something that represents the energy, right? And obviously when you have a correspondence, right, you can talk about things like pots of rice, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, like one of the things that used to happen is you had clay tablets, right, with cuneiform or some kind of ancient script that would basically be like commerce tablets. And the commerce would be like, okay, this documents how many pots of rice, right? So like all of that has a one-to-one correspondence, right? But the thing that's so interesting about the introduction of paper money is that there's this idea of the notion of counterfeiting, right? Which is so interesting. And obviously, I don't know if I'm jumping towards something you're already going to, right? But like when you think about the idea of cryptography as anti-counterfeiting, right? Then it becomes kind of like the natural (laughs) dwelling of this next generation, right? But to me, the thing that I think you're pointing at is you're pointing at as soon as you remove the gold or bimetallic standard or any kind of energetic backing. Yeah then essentially every dollar becomes counterfeit, right? Whether it's printed by the, like, by the mint or anyone else, right? Like, it's, they're all counterfeit at that point. Absolutely. Because <laughs> there's no energy. Exactly. exactly, exactly. That, 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 that's literally what I was going to tell you. That was my next point. <laughs> so, 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 so I think, I think uh, yeah, Bingo, like, there, there, there you go. I think, I think you kind of summarized what I was getting at. But I think... Uh, which is also why I think I think if you look at the idea of stable coins, I think the idea of stable coins only makes sense if if if, if that currency unit is again backed by something 
that is the incentive design choice. And that incentive design choice is in fact the case because there was some energy that went into its creation, right? So, 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 so uh, in this case, uh, a USDC makes sense, probably because most of the world still uses US dollar as an incentive design choice, whether by choice or force, it's still the case, which means having a currency that is one-to-one -one pegged to that price probably makes sense for the moment, but perhaps in the future, if let's say Bitcoin becomes the standard that people view as the incentive design, then, then perhaps a currency backed by Bitcoin makes sense, particularly or primarily to, to, to address the scalability of, of, of Bitcoin as an L1, right? So, so, so because you can't do so many transactions on L1 on Bitcoin, perhaps you can have a currency that can, right? Similar to how you use paper to scale commodity money. You could use that as a one-to-one -one backing to essentially scale Bitcoin in many ways. Right, but you don't. Uh, the whole idea of stable coin, backed by an unstable currency, doesn't make much sense. Right, so so, so you essentially can you have a scaling solution? So, so if anybody you have something backed by something, uh, I think at least in my view, it makes sense when you're addressing that to address scalability of of the underlying incentive design choice. Right, so 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 that that's essentially the TLDR. But but recursion backup. What's the model of, of the story? Right, so so I think. This goes to my first point, is is the fundamental difference between uh, the whole crypto paradigm and fiat matrix or the crypto matrix is essentially uh, one is a system where you are born into and you have no choice but to use it. The other one is where it gives you the choice to opt in. So so is the is the choice between being born into versus opt in is 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 what makes this this paradigm a lot more interesting, right? So so so, so I think. That's kind of what got me into crypto. I'm like, okay, this, 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 this is, this is what led me to the realization that this is, this is the, uh, the internet of money, no pun intended. So, 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 so. so allow me, allow me to ask then a cheeky question, right? Uh -huh. Because when you're talking about this kind of idea of energy, right? Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that happens with Bitcoiners, right? Is that you necessarily start to talk about earlier proof of work coins like yap stones you know those giant stone wheels that they used to carve on yap island right so all of that stuff relates to things like the energy of production right mm -hmm. but i guess what is your thought process around things like proof of stake and things like uh, you know ethereum you know and how, like how do you reason about stuff like that oh man <laughs> okay so 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 i think i'll go back to incentive design choice Right. So, so, so uh, at the fundamental level, I think proof of work, uh, essentially what you're doing is you're putting energy into creation within your currency. So, so yeah. if, if I'm being, I'm taking a purist take that energy uh, or money backed by energy, then I think proof of, proof of work probably is, 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 is the uh, most, pure, most purest form of, of, of having a decentralized money that, or not even decentralized money, but the idea of, of, of if I have to stick to the definition, of money backed by energy, right? Uh, on the other hand, that does proof of stake offer, offer some interesting design that, that, that allows people to uh, basically mine and by, by, by uh, staking their assets and then earning interest. So, so I think we haven't seen, so, so it's really hard to tell, it's early to tell whether it's gonna be successful or not because we haven't seen proof of stake model apply at scale like we've seen proof of work play out with Bitcoin and Ethereum, right? So, so, so 
But uh, haven't we seen haven't we seen kind of adequate scale? Like what I mean by adequate scale is like <laughs> if you look at even something like a Tezos, right? Like if it were easy mm-hmm. to hack, like wouldn't it have already been hacked? Because like there's certainly enough value to make yeah. it worth hacking, right? So I, I feel it feels okay-ish from that perspective. So, I'm more mm-hmm. I'm more curious about your not about your opinion about like the sort of um, long term viability of a of a non energy backed kind of like construct. So so I think. Uh... Yeah, philosophically, I think I think it's a different answer. But practically speaking, uh, it might yield a different outcome there, right? So, 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 so I think, uh, like I said, I mean, you could argue this. Yeah. You mm-hmm. could argue this, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that the energy that backs Bitcoin is obviously the energy of production, right? Yeah. And the origin of the energy of production is actually compute, yeah, exactly. Right? Which is that, right? And, but the other way of looking at it is is that. You could look at Ethereum as basically backed by compute mm-hmm. out the other end, right? Which yeah. is that it's redeemable for compute. Yeah. So, so, so I think... Which presumably costs energy uh, to compute. So, so, so I think fundamentally, I think there's a place for both. What I'm trying to avoid is pick a side and say uh, proof of work is better than proof of stake or vice versa. I feel, I feel, I feel, I feel like there is, the, there is a choice. <laughs> Let's people get can... into like a maxi fight. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a choice people can make, right? So, so, so uh, which is the beauty of crypto again. Right, is that you have a choice? But if it takes, but if it takes energy to perform compute, mm-hmm. right, and uh, ether is redeemable for compute, yeah, then but, it's energy backed, right? But, but, Again, so, so but the thing is, yeah, because the thing is, energy doesn't have to be expressed purely uh, by like expanding electricity into it. Like that, that's one way to look yeah, at yeah, it. Yeah, but what I'm, but what I'm asserting is, is that like, uh, a one, one ether is always redeemable for like a certain amount of like compute. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And at the end of the day, fundamentally, you're staking your ETH, but you are again, once again, uh, batching the transactions, putting them in a block. So you are performing work, right? But it may not be like solving a puzzle, right? But but you are performing some work, and then you. Yeah, got, but what I mean, but yeah. what I mean, what I mean is gas fee. That's yeah, what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Is that is that mm-hmm. is that the amount of ether spent on gas fees yeah. is really being spent on compute? So. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so that's okay. Happens, you're, you're still it's money backed by energy, right? So, so it's, 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 thumbs up. Yeah. So so so. So we're okay again. Whether, whether, whether proof of stake is a better civil deterrent mechanism than proof of work is 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 TBD, right? So 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 far we've seen proof of work survive all kinds of adversarial attacks and and crazy and, stuff. And flipped. Right, so, 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 so nothing happens. Yes. Now, 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 can proof of stake uh, live by the same expectation? It's like TBD, right? So, so until then, it's hard for me to say that this is better because the other system hasn't been tested as rigorously as, as the other one. Fair. So, 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 so I think that, that, that's my somewhat politically correct answer. This is great. So to me, the entire kind of uh, tour, uh, uh, which has been incredibly uh, rollicking, it has really been kind of like, you know, your journey, right? So I think your journey clearly involved sort of uh, lifting the veil of reality, right? And, and kind of seeing, peering into the sort of essential nature of the monetary technologies, right? So so now you're like, now you've seen the, the beast at its core, right? So I guess to me, I'd love to kind of like dig into sort of like, you know, how, how did that, like, so obviously it shifted your 
matrix of motivations, right? So now, now you're looking at like, you know, stuff to do, you know, and, you know, now you're working on the future of the monetary uh, and financial system rather than space robots. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, so I think generally, again, at the end of the day, uh, like I like to build things, right? So, 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 so it's, it's essentially uh, you, you, you're creating things. And I think, I think that that's what I like to do, right? So, so, so anything that furthers the, the human frontier, right? I, I, would, I would always like to be part of that, right? So, so, so whether it be space, commercial space tourism, building robots to, to, to perform reconnaissance missions, or whether it be financial engineering to build the next, 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 next generation technology, right? So, so I think that's generally where my, where my heart lies is in creating new things. So, so I think, uh, and I'm like a systems person, so, so I like to think about anything from a systems perspective, whether, whether it be building robots or whether it be visualizing your, your financial system as a dynamic system, which it is, right? So, so at the end of the day, you can actually describe your entire, entire financial system as a highly complex dynamic system with different moving parts. And then and, and each little change is going to impact everything else. Like same way you can describe your human body as a dynamic system with the collection of multiple single systems that, that comprise together to form your entire under complex nervous system or so on, right? So, 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 so generally, I think, I think, I think uh, that's what I kind of obsess over is understanding how these systems work and how they interact with each other and then how one small change can impact the entire system and what are the trade-offs that we need to make to make it work the way that, you know, so, it's functioning. So this kind of brings me to sort of roadmappy topics, right? Which is, you know, I think you alluded to the sort of bridgeless bridging cross-chain kind of construct, right? Which I think is exciting. And I'd love to have you unpack that a little bit, but like, you know, like what about sort of further roadmap for hash flow and like, you know, how do you see this uh, expanding in the future? No, absolutely. So, so by the way, that the, the cross-chain stops is live already. So, so you can go right now, send ether, receive AVAX uh, natively. Uh, get guaranteed execution. There would be no slippage. There would be no MEV exploits, and 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 there is no bridging. Like you don't have to rely on any external bridge. The bridgeless, the bridgeless bridge. The bridgeless bridge. So 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 so, so. Uh, and and the way it works again goes back to the fundamentals, right? So 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 I think there is like, at least when we were looking into building cross chain solution, there were like two ways to doing it, right? So so one is you use an AMM on one side. To, to enable a swap, and then and then and then perhaps let's say you want to trade Ether for AVAX. Then what you do is you go on Uniswap, you swap Ether for for USDC, and then you use the USDC and connect it to an external bridge called Stargate or or, or one wall anything. Right. So so, and then you bridge USDC for USDT on AVAX, and then you go on AVAX Uniswap and then transfer or swap USDC on AVAX. For AVAX on that pool and transfer it back yep. to user. Yep. So, so yep. the problem obviously is uh, you have slippage and MEV on one chain, and then you have at least five minute time delta in which the price could have changed significantly, and then and then you have another uh, AMM swap on the other side on AVAX. Right. So, so, so this is just not very sustainable, and you can you already know where I'm going with that. Right. It's essentially, is is when you have five minutes delta between two trades. And the price can swing massively. It's way too risky to trade on something like that, right? So, so uh, what you need is a more, more robust design that 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 guarantees execution 
and does not carry all these risks and also does not have to rely on, on, on external bridges to move funds, right? So on that note, the way we define bridge is essentially where you have to send an asset on one chain and then lock it up and then you have to mint corresponding asset on the other chain uh, that, that, that is one-to-one -one pegged to the asset that was locked on, on, on the source chain, right? right. So, and, and generally, uh, you have like Ethereum bridge where people lock in Ethereum on, on Ethereum, then they mint Arbitrum, Arbitrum ETH as an example. And then, and then there are other bridges that use stable coins because inherently they are all tied one-to-one. -one. You can technically lock in USDC on chain one and, and then mint another yep. stable coin uh, with the same value on, on, on chain two, right? But, but again, it makes things more complicated. Uh, but with Hashflow, given that it was already inherent in our RFQ system, we didn't have to worry about any of these things, right? So, so, so uh, the way it fundamentally works is your market maker gives you a quote to do a swap, and then and then and that quote is already pre-signed uh, or cryptographically signed by the market maker, and your taker is essentially just just submitting that cryptographically signed quote to the contract, and the contract does the swap after checking the signatures, right? So, so you can just extend this logic to do it on two different networks. So what's really changing here? Is, is you have the, the, the cryptographically signed quote that you receive from the market maker go on chain on the source chain where the, the signature is checked and then first transfer happens on source chain and then you rely on, on your external validators uh, to, to verify that that transaction has taken place and then you relay that transaction, that information to destination chain to carry out the next set of instructions which is to transfer the assets to the user, right? So, so, so and, and the simplicity of this design is essentially uh, so long as your external validator set is working fine, you don't have to worry about anything else, right? Which is fundamentally the entire cross-chain game to begin with. Like any cross-chain protocol right now is some combination of how do you design your validator set to be safe, right? Sure. So, so so long as you can build a validator set, then, 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 then you know, that, that works that you're comfortable with. That then, then you can build a cross-chain application on that. So, so, so that's the fundamental question for anyone building cross-chain things that they must ask is which external verification system are they most comfortable using, right? So, 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 and use that to make a decision, right? So, so if you look at layer zero, they use this combination of relayers and, and oracles. The oracles are acting as their validators. If you look at Axelar, Axelar is using a set of like 40 different validators who work on a proof of stake model. Right? Yep. And then they have this consensus mechanism to verify that transaction. Wormhole has the, has the 19 guardians uh, who, who, again, verify a transaction yep. has taken place. Abacus sure. using something simple, similar. Nomad is slightly different in the sense that anyone can verify uh, or validate the transaction, but then they have a 30-minute time window where someone can challenge that proof. So it's more of an optimistic design, uh, which adds a little extra security at the cost of you know, uh, time delay. Right or latency, but but generally, if you see the pattern is which externally ver externally ver external verification system works the best for your application, and you use that, uh, and 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 then you use that in conjunction with it with your with your cross chain application. Right, so that that's that's the slightly more <laughs> uh, detailed uh, explanation. Yeah, 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 absolutely. No, but super helpful because it's mm -hmm. you know important from the perspective of trying to solve this incredibly thorny problem of bridging. Right. And I think with an RFQ style system as well, like you don't have this kind of like very attackable poolings of liquidity on either side. 
right? So, you know, the, sure. that, that becomes a very juicy target for mm -hmm. uh, attackers. I mean, you can have a pool, that's fine. Uh, but again, the pool, the, the, the more important thing though is, 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 is that you don't need to collateralize tons of money on either side on every asset in order yeah. to just bridge yeah, yeah. one for the other because you just don't need it. And, 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 I, and I just don't think you need bridge for, for these sort of things. It's an extra. Nice. Yeah. Nice. It's a friction. Yeah. Anything. So what about, what about like future? Uh, you know, I, I think we're nearing on time, but I'd love to kind of get your uh, big idea, future vision. So I think a lot is coming on still, right? So, so we launched cross-chain, uh, we just introduced RFQMs, but I think uh, the key thing going back to what's the biggest thing, what Hashlow is going to be useful for is we, we, we said multiple times is that being able to price anything that goes beyond spot, right? So, so I think if you want to essentially unlock the, the, the next sound like a visionary, the trillion dollar market, I think it's not in spot. It's, 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 it's in the non-Delta One assets, right? So, so, so essentially, now that we have the core infrastructure, what we can do is we, is we can start innovating at the level of what kind of asset classes that we offer, right? Because we what have- about, uh, What about like NFTs? Well, NFTs could be an asset class too, right? So, so, so I think the good thing is, uh, it'd be interesting to see if, if there's a way to market make NFTs, right? So, so I think that is something- Interesting. Into, right? We haven't, we haven't uh, we've been thinking about that, like, you know, on who would be the market maker, how would we uh, it's enable better price discovery for NFTs, given yep. that they're so subjective. Yeah, but liquid. Subjective, right? So, 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 so that would be an interesting way. But because you mentioned NFTs, I do want to say that our DAO, once we launch, is going to be leveraging NFTs significantly. Like the whole idea of, you know, building a DAO that, that, that works as a way to incentivize people to participate and gamify it. I think, I, th I think that's something we're building out. And I think that yeah, yeah, that's been an incredibly fun thing too, as a kind of early user and investor in Hashflow, like getting Hashbot NFTs yeah. and engaging on that basis has been very entertaining and fun and, you know, and playful and, and, you know, brand aware. So it's, it, that's been incredibly refreshing. Uh, but, but, uh, yeah, so, so, you know, I, unfortunately I think we hit the top of the hour, but like, you know, as always like incredibly rollicking conversation, it's always an incredible pleasure and, uh, you know, uh, welcome back on the show anytime. No, of course. I think, I, th I think we definitely need a part two, uh, to talk about the, the NFTs and, 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 and how the DAO is going to shape up, because I think that's another hour easy. Yeah. <laughs> so and this, this involved, this involved like an incredibly strong unpacking of this whole like mm -hmm. uh, piercing the veil of money so i think it's a uh, you know it's going to be a really uh, fun episode for uh, for the audience thanks so much of course all right thank you <laughs>